Good evening. Today is Wednesday, October 6, 2021, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter slash step is six and seven, and our speaker tonight is Christine T. Thank you. Okay, I get to go. A little nervous. I'm, I don't, it's funny. You'll hear me. You'll think I love to do this because I can talk and talk, but I really don't. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like um, it, it and especially on Zoom, you know, I, I, you know, in person, it's a little different, right? Okay, so I'm going to tell you my story quickly um, and uh, go through it because it's probably similar to all of you. I am a hundred pounder loser. So I used to weigh about 340 pounds and and Subin asked me to put up a picture, but I'll explain a little later why I it. it my weight was a symptom of what my problem really was, which I have a spiritual malady. And so I really don't like necessarily to focus on the hundred pounds. I really like to focus on, on what my higher power and my spiritual malady. So I'm kind of going to go through uh, a little bit about how I got here. So the first time I ever went into the rooms, I was 16 years old. It was a dark room in the middle of the, the Bronx in Riverdale. And there were a bunch of 300 pounders there crying. Um, I left and I didn't come back um, until it was very dark church. <laughs> That's all I remember was dark <laughs> and I could barely see anybody. And I came back um, about 10 years later. Um, I was, uh, wanted to get pregnant with a second child. I weighed 320 pounds. And she said, she thought I was crazy. My midwife, you're insane. And she brought a brochure for Overeaters Anonymous and then began my real story in these rooms. So, um, and, and this isn't criticism. These are the rooms I was in. So I, it, please understand that it says nothing to do. This is my experience not a criticism of OA as a whole, but I truly over 27 or 25 years was truly sponsored by moderate or hard eaters that could stick to a food plan, not do the steps as written in the big book. And um, I couldn't do that. And so after a year, I would uh, go out and then I'd wait five years and go back in. And after a year, and no one would do the work. They would, I, the several sponsors I had would, I'd say, well, what about the steps? And they say, you have to wait years to do this. You don't, you just have to stay sober, you know, for now, don't worry about it. And, and what I realized when I came back in seven and a half years ago, October 4th was seven and a half years. So my date is April 4th, 2014. Uh, uh, I sat next to, um, uh, I want to explain what got me back here. Again, 300, I lied. I said I was 320, but I was really almost 350 at that point. And I was suicidal and I was throwing my heart into arrhythmia every evening by stuffing myself. And I would have to stand up against a wall and I would have to raise my arms up. My heart was like beating out of my chest. And I would tell my husband, if I fall down, call 911. But the moment that heart went back into rhythm, I would be in the pantry. And I was so, so at that point, so desperate. 
So I went on vacation. It was my 50th birthday and my husband brought everybody, boyfriends, girlfriends, and my kids. And we all went somewhere. And during that vacation, my son-in-law now, uh, I was observing him double fisting with two beers. And I was getting angry at him thinking this this guy, what's wrong with him? He's drinking too much. And so then as stuffing my face, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm as bad as he is. I got to go back. And so in the bathroom of the airport, I called my sponsor uh, from the past. And so I, April 4th, I went to my first meeting and it was about three weeks later that I said to her, you know, I really need to do work, step work. I've never done it. Now I'm in and out of rooms for 25 years and no one has ever taken me through this work. And then I was about to jump ship the third weekend. And I thought this just, I can't do this. And um, uh, my sponsor sat next to me and said this, I find that if you're a true compulsive overeater, it's a different person, the person who took me through the books. You can't stop eating unless you've done the steps as written in the big book. And, it, and, and I just looked at her and I said, will you, will you take me through? And hence started my journey. And so uh, basically I, I started doing the work, I think April 30th, and I was giving my uh, fifth step by the end of June, and I was in 10 by August. And I remember thinking, I changed very rapidly and very dramatically, uh, to the point of where my husband thought I was uh, in a cult. Um, <laughs> he thought um, my kids, he was calling my children to come home. I just had very dramatic changes. I became a very different person rapidly. I think as you see yourself in step four, or as I see myself, I can only speak for myself. Uh, it was an eye opener. And, um, and really what I really now want to get into um, is the steps. And I'm going to take you quickly through how I do it. It might be different than what other people do, but it's the same step. And then I'm gonna get to six and seven and it's gonna take me less than a minute to do this. Step one to me is, am I one of us? Okay, am I a true compulsive overeater as defined on page 21 of the big book? And to be a true compulsive overeater, I have to have two components. I have to have the mental obsession and the physical addiction. So I have both of those. So I am a true compulsive overeater and I do have this problem. Step two, I am not the solution, but there might be something out there that is, okay? And any more time than that, spent on that, defining a God, trying to, is a waste of time, okay? And, I'll, and, that, and this is how I teach and this is what I do. Okay, and three, am I willing to turn myself over to this process, steps four through 12, and find that God? Because if I could turn my will and my life over in step three, this would be a three-step program. I would not need the rest of four through 12. It's impossible, okay, to do that, right? So what it's asking me to do is turn myself over to this whole process so that I can find God because step 12 is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. 
So if someone is sitting looking and thinking they have to have God or they have to have this thing or whatever it is, it's a waste of time. They're going to die. If they're a true, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, they're true compulsive overeaters and they're going to die. They're going to eat and die. And they don't have time to sit here and ruminate and describe, describe what kind of characteristics uh, does your God have to have? And I have a hard time with that because I know as a recovered individual, I don't define God at all. I let it define it to me. Okay. Because it's so awesome that I cannot even give it words today. And so the truth is it doesn't want me to define it. What it wants me to do is live a moral life and then it finds me, okay? And so in this process, now step four, I start the process by doing a fearless moral inventory, okay? Then five, I admit to that thing out there that I might not even have yet, you know, <laughs> to find to myself and another human being, all my grosser handicaps. And when I say grosser, it's because I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. <laughs> so the real reality is if I spend time on thoroughness, I'm wasting time. What I'm asking people to do is to look at their grosser handicaps, because really it says in the big books, thoroughness and honesty. Yes, I do want some, we're going through the past. So I want you to clean up the past, but believe me, it's honesty that matters more than thoroughness, because as my experience goes, that they, things repeat themselves. If I did not clean it up in four, it will have an opportunity to come back in 10 and I will get to clean it up. Okay, then um, uh, six, entirely ready to have whatever that is out there, right? <laughs> Remove my shortcomings, willingness. Really step six is willingness. And then seven, humbly ask for my shortcomings to be removed. Act as if they are, humility. Okay, those two together. And I like to do them together. And I, you know, I was thinking about, she was saying, uh, Amy was saying, maybe make them separate, but really they're almost the same because almost even four white, white, listen to me, white, white, um, um, not right, white. Um, I feel like um, awareness, acceptance, surrender. Awareness, my column four, okay? Uh, what defect I'm using? Acceptance, ah, oh my God, I'm doing this. And surrender, you know what? You can have this, you know? And, and the truth and is, headaches. okay, thanks. They have to kind of be put together. They have to almost go, as soon as awareness comes, uh, everything kind of has to move in a shift. And, and move forward. And so for me, they're almost one, right? Because um, I, I have to be aware of what I'm doing to be able, and, and the beauty is the more I do this, the more awareness I have, and the more I want to be aware. Uh, I get a feeling when a defect performs and it's in my stomach and my stomach just goes mm, like that. And I really don't like it. So immediately my papers come out I figure out what I've done. Sometimes they're deeper because there's really all my, all my, if it's a resentment or a harm, the truth is there's a fear behind almost every one of them. And, um, and I have to get to that point of letting go. And I'll give you a good example of a six, seven. 
Um, I had my son and his girlfriend living with me for a long time, like a year, as I'm sure some of you have had COVID kids come back. Um, And I had never met his girlfriend, I think twice before. And here she is living with me, you know? And so uh, they would make a pot of coffee in the morning and that coffee at 10 p.m. at night, that pot wasn't finished. And boy, did this irk me. It just irked me. Oh my God, can't we clean this pot? Why can't they clean this pot? And one day, nine months into this, I blew and I started screaming. Why can't you clean this pot? And so I, I really, my stomach, boom, just like, what did I do? I harmed, how am I going to do this? Why is this pot bothering me? Here you go. I did not, I, it, this, it didn't take long. It took a couple of hours to really ruminate over it. I know this is a kind of a 10 step, but it's kind of showing you how the six and seven act in this. Okay, so I look at, I look at why, why, you know, I harmed these people and what was, what was the fear? I was afraid to actually say something to them. And the reason is because they wouldn't like me. What can I do about that? Nothing. How do I feel? Abandoned. Abandonment. So the truth is I treated them like children, okay, because of a fear of abandonment because I didn't want to say something and set a rule or a guideline where they wouldn't like me or she wouldn't like me in particular. So the reality of this is immediately I took her outside and I said, and, and immediately the knot in my stomach went away. It's like a oh, moment and I get to clean up my mess now because I really want to surrender this. Like, I don't want to hang on to this. I don't want to repeat it. So, um, and I really want to move on. So six and seven is something that kind of, is a speed bump for me. I kind of blooped the first time right over it. And then I started living this program and realized, oh, I missed something, um, <laughs> you know? And I had to go back and I started reading a book, which I won't mention the name, it is a non-sanctioned book. And I would write on this book every day, read a sentence. And when a sentence hit me, and this book really taught me that about my defects and I really wasn't looking at most of them. And um, I really went over this book with a fine tooth comb. It, I think I was on two pages for almost three weeks, okay? Because it had so much information in it. And for me, this is, you know, you know, so important. And I, you know, we just read step seven in a meeting and it's, it was, this is what it says uh, out of the 12 and 12. A great turning point in our lives came when we sought for humility as something we really want rather than something we must have. And that's the whole thing. I felt flat after six months. And then I wanted this. I wanted that same initial ah moment. And I still get it. And I'm like, I like I don't know how to tell anybody except that I still get a high off of doing this stuff and figuring it out and changing and becoming a better person. So for me, I think of it as digging for, uh, for uh, mining for gold. That's my whole thought. I'm looking for those defect nuggets. And every time I'm looking for them, you know, I, I get to change, right? And get closer in this relationship that I'm trying to establish by doing this work. And then I'm going to go a little into this and be a little preachy, but this book does not teach us how to stop eating. 
There isn't, or drinking or gambling or anything. There isn't a sentence in here that tells you how to do this. This book teaches us how to connect to something greater than ourselves that will save me. And then it promises in multiple places throughout this book that it will solve every problem I have. I, and if you want, I'll quote them all. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I'm going to read the page in We Agnostics where it describes I'm 45. Lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a, a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how are we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that will, not maybe, not sort of, not kind of, will solve your problems. You know, that means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And somebody, it was interesting because somebody was talking to me the other day and a bunch of people said uh, to, to the person that, well, you haven't surrendered the food yet. But I was thinking my whole life that, I surrendered to the food my whole life. It's not the food that I don't surrender. It's to God and my life. I'm not surrendering my life to a higher power. I surrendered every day to a binge. Every day I surrendered to food. It hasn't, that is not, I have to just know I am who I am. And there, unfortunately, I can't tell anybody when that is when you've had enough. And I try to tell everybody, but it'll happen if you continue to grow and do this work and spiritually try to grow. Um, and it's funny, I had written so many things down because I was trying to do research. And of course, I probably not research, but trying to spur um, on a bunch of things in my mind so that I hate reading. That's, uh, you know, from things I don't like when I read. Um, yeah, I'll read this one, though, that I wrote down. Higher power, not me, makes me different by giving me what it takes to change. It is my job to act and to behave like the changes occurred. That's my job, to act and behave. So the moment I find a defect, I must act the opposite. In doing this, the process of change happens. Frequently, this involves emotional pain. The pain the, uh, of living the way becomes greater, right, than the fear of changing. <laughs> so the, the reality is living in the pain of all this angst just becomes uh, so um, much easier for me to change than to live in that. This is a step of surrender and trust, not self-will or self-determination. I have to surrender my ideas which perform my defects that stand in the way of my usefulness to my higher power, myself and others. Okay, so it's all, I, I just was like going through, just trying to put things together, you know, and uh, another thing that was in this book on six and seven, which I don't want you to, to uh, take uh, oddly, but I'll explain. If I think that recovery is only about abstaining from food, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, shopping, and so on, then staying abstinent will solve and staying absent will solve my problems, then you might not want to hear what this true book is truly about, right? If on the other hand, I feel that recovery is living fully, 
usefully and freely and about reaching towards our potential, then you might wanna keep your ears open and do this work because that's what this is. I am a totally different human being. The tools are guidelines, the steps are the program. If I follow the guidelines and never move forward in the work, then I, all I'm doing is standing in one place. By working the steps, I begin to walk through my life. And a whole new world opens, you know, really, because I, I have a relationship with all three of my kids at such a different level. I really don't tell them what to do today. It's amazing what my kids tell me. I, I'm and I don't get upset <laughs> because that I, I I know today that these were just a, a gift from my higher power. These things that I was given these children to just raise and move out, and that um, they're not really mine. I don't own them, uh, and they get to live their own life and make their own mistakes. And it's kind of kind of it's like existentialism almost like I had this realization a couple of years ago that there's nobody's really mine. My husband isn't mine. My kids aren't mine. They're just gifts that come in and flow. I have no power or control as I have none really in my own life. I can observe, just be kind and loving and 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 sweet. And um, and I get to do what I need to do. Um, and when I perform a defect, be willing to really be honest with who I am, because that honesty key in that fourth column is huge. Um, and then the, the acceptance uh, or awareness, acceptance, surrender as quick as I can. <laughs> and um, that's it, you know. All right. How, how much time? I tried to get it in 15. You actually, you're at, you have eight seconds left. Oh, <laughs> That was amazing. I too much. I told you. No, no, wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And the Zoom host will then call the raised hands in order. Would the timekeeper, Amy, would you please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up? Okay, we have our first hand raised, Amy B. Amy B, compulsive overeater. Christine, thank you so much for that share. I'm going to jump right in um, with a question. You said, I am who I am. You talked about awareness, acceptance, trust, but I am who I am. Can you, uh, my question is really about, I've been in this program and abstinence and practicing the steps for, you know, a few years. And I, my addict's first thoughts is less loud and less, less angry most, most of the time. If I am who I am, does it just keep getting quieter? Can I ever expect not to have an addict's first thought? I guess that's the question. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I really do. I'm, it's amazing today. Um, you know, I think that I can listen when I never used to do that. Um, I can be helpful 
uh, and non-dictorial. And I do shout. My husband and I definitely have a yelling thing that we do. And we're both working on that. Um, and, um, and I will tell you, because I got sober and changed my life, my husband got sober and so did my daughter. So the reality of it is that we're all sober now. <laughs> and so we're learning how to live this life. And it's a lot of practice, you know, and he and I communicate through yelling and we're working on that. Like we just had a long conversation about it last week. We're working on it, you know, and, and, um, and so I, you know, I'm just going to tell you, just hang in. Like, this is amazing what happens to you. You know, like, I can't tell you all the crazy stuff that goes on that I don't even react to anymore. You know, like, eh, so what? What is so what that person thinks I'm this or I'm not thin enough, right? Or I'm not this enough or, you know, none of it really matters. You know, I'm thinner than what I used to be. I'm not a size 30. I'm a size 16, but I'm not a size 30. Okay. And like, I'm really happy. So like um, the whole thing about this is that this is about me changing, but it takes time. I am who I am, but I have changed in that too. I am, I'm not who I used to be there. That's it. I am who I am, but I'm not who I used to be. Does that help you? Okay. God has worked his ways with me. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Joanna. Hi everyone, Joanna, compulsive overeater and orthorexic. Thank you for your service, everyone. Thank you, Christine. I have a question as well. And for me, what always comes up is this natural resistance to the idea of a defect of character because I'm somebody that's very hard on myself to begin with. So putting into words that I you know, I'm bad at this. I do this. This is wrong. This is bad. Sometimes the 12 steps are almost like another <laughs> bat to beat myself with, if that makes any sense. Um, I was just wondering if anybody had like, or, you know, could help me through that sort of um, concept, you know, especially since character defects are often like coping mechanisms for, you know, the craziness that went on in our lives for example so that's like what's coming up for me and I'm thankful to hear what anybody else has to say and I'm also putting my phone number in the chat just right there so thank you there's a there is um I'm gonna answer it with uh 11 in the big book Okay, there is this wonderful thing in 11 that talks about our nightly reflection, but with no morbid reflection. And I, I, really, uh, I really try to explain that this isn't about beating ourselves up. And, and I'm gonna give you my image of what a defect is. So maybe this will help you. If I don't admit it, I don't have to beat myself up over it. It doesn't go away. So I try to use this example. If I don't put the robe, the queen, like a big queen's robe on, the crown and the scepter, I don't get to take them off either, okay? So I have to wear the stuff and accept that I have done some stuff, but there has to be a level of non-abuse. These are just observations, right, of how I can change. But it's not to be used to say you're bad, 
That's morbid reflection, right? And, and that today on the other side of 12, living on the other side of 12, I just had this conversation with my daughter. She's getting on the scale. And I said, why are you getting on the scale? What does the scale number matter? What does this matter? Okay, it does not matter. I said, use the scale at your workout facility. And I, I explained she has morbid reflection from the number. And I'm like, it doesn't really matter. If your food's in order, I, it doesn't matter if you get on the scale or not. Just put your food in order and just don't weigh yourself. You know, it, you know it, it's that she, she can't get her head out of it. But the reality is, it's like God loves me the way I am. Every little fat fold, every stretch mark, every character defect. Who are you to beat up what God made? That's how I feel. I did a meditation once and I was being abusive to myself one day, you know, and I, uh, it took me all day to get in a chair and meditate. And I did. And this is what I heard. Who are you to take apart what I made? Who are you? And, and, and it said, go look in the mirror. <laughs> I went in the mirror and that was it. And I just stood there crying. So that's the whole thing. God loves me even in my defects. All he wants me to do is be aware and try to change. Try to be the opposite and not be hard on yourself. Just know that there's no perfection in any of this. This is just progress, not perfection. All right, Emily. Hi, everybody, family. I'm Emily D. Recovered in Chicago. Um, so grateful to be here. Um, so grateful to hear the message um, and to, you know, witness God working through you, Christine, um, and all the work he's done on you. I am like high on self-appraisal, too. And who knew that would be something that I could say? a year and a half in. And I, I, I do have a question um, because I think part of what this disease always did for me was make me, it made me special and it made me a pariah at the same time. It was like both sides of being different from everyone else. And part of what I'm noticing now is like, just like you said, when you get that defect, when it comes up and you feel, I couldn't feel shit in my stomach except full and bloated and gassy. And now I feel in my stomach, like, whoa, I gotta like, I gotta like SOS this. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your defects in just very practical terms. Like how would you name a few of them? You know, you mentioned yelling with your husband and I'm not sure how you describe that, but just like, yeah. and I ask that because I bet I have them too. Okay. And I think, right. Yeah, not afraid. I, I none of it that I'm so willing to admit. And a good one is um, the, I'll give you one. So last week there was a young lady I taught at a meeting, and uh, sometimes you know we go into someone's life and we teach them. And she had this beautiful realization. She was working in ten and got to the other side of twelve, and all of a sudden something happened, and she's she's gone backwards. Okay, and it's, oh, you jumped. I don't know where you went. Oh, there you are. <laughs> I can't stand that it jumps. I kind of find everybody. Um, so, uh, so what happened is she shared in a meeting and we do cross talk and I tried to help her. And I, afterwards she got very nasty 
And, <laughs> and so what I realized was that I have this Jesus complex and it's control, okay? I want to help someone uh, get attached again. I get such a, uh, I have lived such an incredible life today that I don't, when someone has it, I wanna help guide them back to it. But the truth is I cannot help her. She has to do this herself. And so I had to realize, ah, Jesus complex again, control, think I can help her and I cannot, she has to be willing to reconnect herself. And so the whole process was, I don't want to go back to that meeting, you know, being arrogant, she's ruining the meeting. No, no, not at all. I mean, but I can name a ton of them, you know, I, I can like, you know, I have so many like, you know, uh, and they still come up, but I can laugh at them because, and, and this is the beauty, the more people I teach, the more that become useful to me, right? And I called one of my sponsees who's really very attached and she was tough with me as I am with my sponsees. I asked tons of questions, deep in questions and she really called me on it and, and it was beautiful. And I said, I gotta get off the phone because I don't like hearing it. And then I giggled when I got off the phone and called her back <laughs> and, uh, and we, we had a good chuckle. So um, that's one. Let's see. I can be very stubborn. Um, there's so many. I can't even like, I'm trying to think of all the good ones that um, I've had more recently. Uh, I, get in, I get really resentful about workers who don't show up on time. And today I was very um, nasty to someone and I left a very curt message. So I had to, I actually called him back and apologized. I said, I'm, I, I'm very sorry. I should not have spoken to you that way. So um, yeah, I, I have many and, and they, even impatience driving, um, you know, uh, sadness, fear. My son said he's not coming home for Christmas. Fear lost him forever. He's never coming home again. <laughs> oh my God, she's taken him away. You know, these crazy thoughts. I am a normal human being who has these thoughts, but they don't consume me today. I tag him and they don't bring me to the food. I'm a nut. I'm an addict. I'm crazy. That's never, ever going to go away. Sorry to interrupt. Things, things. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I thought you were finished. I apologize. I just... Okay, I just wanted to, we're going to now stop the recording for unrecorded questions.